Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. And that's what you really missed with Jenna and Kevin, an iHeart radio podcast. We're back. Here we are. Welcome. Oh. Welcome to, and that's what you really missed. You berated us. You reached us on every social media platform. You, you would asked. not leave us alone. No, and we tried to ignore it. <laughs> or but did here we? here we are. <laughs> I don't know. It worked. It worked. Whatever you did worked. Um, thanks for thanks for coming back. Thanks for making us come back. We're here with you, and we are we are excited to revisit this with new new eyes. Yeah, I think twenty twenty two eyes are very different from even two years ago. Yes, and so it's nice to pick this back up. And I think Jen and I have a plan for this <laughs> for that? this version. We're going in depth. We're going to be very open. We're gonna we're not gonna sugarcoat. We're going to talk about everything. Um, and I think ultimately, Jenna, yeah. what you and I talked about is that there was so much joy in the process of yes. making Glee. Yes, yes. Obviously, there are bad things, and we will talk about them. Yes. But there was a lot of good, and we want to explore that. We want to get into the details, the nitty-gritty of different departments and who the show impacted and affected. And so going into this first episode and to relaunching this whole thing, we were talking about who could we have. Well, we figured we'd start at the top, right? Who who better than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Ryan Murphy? Ryan Murphy. Honestly, I feel like there was a reckoning in the last two years in the, in the best way possible. Um, what you've seen in the media, what you've seen is just a snippet of all of the of the madness that went on around Glee, but there's so much good and there was so much joy. And this thing was honestly, at least the first couple of years was made with so much love. And, um, I'm just really excited to share that with you guys. And I feel like we've, we've had this 
you know, open conversation with Ryan Murphy over the last two years as well. And with all of that, I think everybody's going to this in with a new perspective of some sort. And and that's why we're doing this. And who better to kick it off? We just talked to Ryan for almost three hours. He it was, was a very so great. <laughs> open and honest conversation. <laughs> And we learned a lot of things we never knew about behind the scenes. Things. We asked a lot of things we had questions about that we we have been dying to ask um, that we and may was, never get those answers again. So, no. And he was not shying away from answering <laughs> any and everything. Certainly so not. buckle up. We hope you enjoy this. We sure did. We learned a lot. And here's our kickoff episode. Enjoy our conversation with Ryan Murphy. Let's start at the very beginning. Ryan Murphy, for um, the people, everybody. This is wild. For the people. (laughs) This is is Ryan's show today. Seeing as we have you, we're not going to let you go until (laughs) we go through everything. And you you signed off on that. I did. I sort of told (laughs) you both, like, you know, I've never really talked about Glee or the making of Glee. And... You know, it, for all of us, I think it was the beginning of a lot of things, the end of a lot of things. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to talk about all of it and say and answer anything that's asked of me. And then it, this is going to be like a really intense therapy session. <laughs> so I have my Kleenex box nearby and Good. I'm ready. Wow. You have your I'm Uggs ready. on. You're on a couch. You're relaxed. I have my Uggs on. I'm on a couch. I decided to treat this like a psychological experiment and... We've all taken ayahuasca and we're ready. We're we're ready to dive real deep. I'm ready to deep dive and answer any arcane. There's no question too small or too big. I think we all need this. For some reason, Glee happened, what, over 15 years ago? And it keeps coming back and people won't let it die. So (laughs) let's just do it. We're bringing it. Let's just go through it. it. Um, Let's Let's start at the very beginning, right? The very beginning. Yeah, I think... So 2007 or 2008, Nip Tuck was in the throes of success, was yeah. still in the air. Right. Um, you, I remember you did a pilot called Pretty Handsome with John Groff and- Yeah. You showed us. Oh my God, Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, you showed us. I showed you guys. And that pilot didn't go, it didn't go forward. How did you go from, what was this process like? Because the story we heard- was you met someone in a gym and got handed a script, and eventually that turned into Glee. But what was your experience of how did Glee happen coming off of Pretty Handsome and Nip Tuck still being on the air? In the ether. Hmm. It was, a, it was always a, a great – it's a great lesson that I always tell people, particularly young people. Like every crushing no leads to the ultimate bigger yes, and that's exactly what happened – in the case of Glee. So I had this big, shiny hit called Nip Tuck. And when you have a hit like that, you know, pretty much the next thing that you do, particularly if you're doing it for the same network, they will say, okay, great, let's do that. So I put my heart into this show called Pretty Handsome with Joseph Fiennes. It was actually the first time I think Jonathan Groff had ever been before a camera. Because I remember, and I remember saying, like, you can't look into the lens. (laughs) Like, that's rule number one. And he was so charming and was, you know, typical Johnny fashion, like Olivier on take one. Yes. And 
So I did it. And it was it was very much like Transparent. It was it was like ten years before Transparent, and we all loved it and thought it was great. It was about um, a male gynecologist who realizes he's a woman, and Dot Marie Jones was in it, and so you know it was just an amazing cast. And they called me up and they said, "We love this. We think it's one of the best things that we've ever seen. We cannot sell advertising for it. The advertiser." advertisers have already told us no mm. and we can't put it on the air and I was really really upset and I think I took to my bed for two weeks and right at the same time I had started an overall deal at Fox with Dana Walden who has gone on to be my big mentor and champion mm-hmm. and she made me have a dinner with her and she said you can't be depressed about this you just have to keep going on and you have to challenge yourself and she said, what have you always wanted to do that you've never done? And I said, well, I've always wanted to do a musical. And she paused and she said, well, that's not going to work because <laughs> there's never been a musical that worked on television. Like there was famously this Stephen Bochco show called Cop Rock. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there was a Melanie Griffith show around that time. I think it was set in Las Vegas that was people singing, but it didn't work. <laughs> and I said, well what if we do a musical that goes on sometime after American Idol or before American Idol because that Which was, was the, the big biggest show, show. At the time. Yeah. Biggest yeah. show in the world. Yeah. So we, while we were having these conversations and I was trying to figure it out, like serendipity, I went to the gym and I was in a towel and a guy came up. <laughs> you better. Handed, Mike Novak came up and handed me a script and he said, I have a feeling you were in show choir. Am I right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I guess I've got... A a huge gay face in a towel in a gym and I said I was and he said my friend wrote this script and you should read it and he gave it to me and I didn't read it for a couple weeks while Dana and I were continually trying to talk about well what is the musical to crack like what is it at one point it was going to be a Dracula musical that would have gone over real great (laughs) and so then I finally read Ian's script on a plane and in Ian's original script, it was a very dark comedy mm-hmm. that had kind of the idea of it. And Ian and I were both in choir. And Mr. Shu, I believe, was a crystal meth addict in Ian's <laughs> script. So was he said, also like doing? Was was he like touching the children or yes. something? Oh. Yeah. Oh. It was. It was like a very dark, dark. It was sort of like election. Remember that Reese Witherspoon yes. election? Yes. But like the NC seventeen version of show choir with like yeah. a weird protagonist who was unraveling and as soon as I read it I was like okay well this is it and I said what if we because what I loved was the idea of um, kids in high school and one of the things that I have since learned in um, my career is it it seems like shows that work or TV experiences that work very often feature people going through quote-unquote first times, first kiss, first loss, first singing, singing experience, on and on and on. So I kind of instinctively wanted to do something about firsts, and I wanted to do something after my transsexual show didn't go that was the opposite of that. Like I wanted something very, very poppy and primary colors and blue sky and not dark and I had done nip tuck and I had done pretty handsome and I was like I just need to do something optimistic and so I convinced Ian to 
work on a draft that sort of leaned into all of that stuff and we presented it to Dana and she actually liked it and she said I think that this could actually work so she was the first champion of it just as the idea um and then we started writing that and it sort of took six months to write it and we wrote it and then the interesting thing was we turned it in and Kevin Riley, who was had hired me at, at FX and was now running Fox with Peter Liguori, said, I love this pilot. It's weird. It'll probably never go. It has one huge problem. And knowing you, I'm shocked and disappointed in you. And I said, oh, my God, what? And he goes, there's no bad person in here. Like the, <laughs> all these people are nice and optimistic. And he goes, there's no one to hate. Mm. And I said, you're right. And then Ian and I talked, and within 15 minutes, I said, I know what it is. It's a horrible cheerleading coach, <laughs> like Jane, a Jane Lynch-type person. And I had worked with Jane before. Um, but we kept calling her Jane Lynch-like. So that's then we put Sue Sylvester into the pilot script. And if you notice, going back, that character is not in it a lot. Um, right. And, and and that's why, because we just had to put it in there to get it greenlit. And then Kevin was like, Eureka, you've done it. So then it got, <laughs> then it got we got it picked up and, and we were wow. off to the races. But it was a very interesting, bizarre yeah. way to, to make something. What's, and I remember you, when you would sort of tell us like the short version of that story back in the day, when you'd be like, I walked into Fox and they were like, okay, sure, go for it. But I was like, who in their right mind would be like, yeah, um, you, this t TV person who's created all these dark shows, and this pilot that we love that we can't actually greenlight, we want you to go for this thing that's probably the hardest thing to get success with. And they were yeah. like, yeah, go for it on multiple levels. Well, like, do you feel like you were out of your element or in your element? Because we always kept, like, w when we were doing press after the pilot, everybody was like, this is so not Ryan Murphy. This is this is the opposite of what Ryan Murphy does. Like, do you feel right. like you were in or out of your element creating this show? I really felt like I was in my element because, you know, I had kind of lived that show in a weird way because – there were parts of me in all of the, the regular parts of, you know, the small group of regulars. Then it became like, you know, mm. night of a thousand stars eventually, but there were like five key parts. And I think there was a lot of me in all of those parts because, you know, Ian and I had really were working on the, the uh, just the ideas of it. Mm. And I felt very personal to all of them, you mm. know? Mm. Um, and, you know, I started this business writing, popular which was a very also a high school show that was a comedy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then i became the prince of darkness and i think that what the town does is it it, the, it you are your last hit right right yep. so then you're suddenly that thing and i never thought it was true and i yeah, it was a very interesting time in in the life of show business in, in hollywood because if you look back at it now you know, really the two biggest champions of Glee were Dana Walden and Jen Salky. Jen has gone on to run Amazon, and these two powerhouses were the ones. I wouldn't say they were battling the guys because the guys, you know, Kevin Riley and, and um, Peter Rice and Peter Liguori were, were always 
interested in it, but it was a very interesting long battle. But for some, there was something about it that as soon as we made it, I just knew that it was special. And I kept just saying to everybody, just get it on the air. Mm. And if it gets on the air, I know it's going to work. So, you know, when you, that was back when there was such a thing as a pilot season. So we made the pilot Mm -hmm. and we turned it in and you had to do things called test screeners. So we took Glee, Dane and I and Jen, and we went to some place in Studio City with a test audience and we showed it to them. And I think it literally got the worst scores in the history of no. the building. What? The, really? The, 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 it bombed. It was just like complete bomb. And the thing that at the end of it, um, the people didn't realize it was a musical. <laughs> so they they kept, there was like, you know, check which category you best, how you would market this show. And... <laughs> I, th- I they they not a single person and there were 36 people in that room thought that it was a musical um so they one person a lot of people thought it was a satire and they were they wrote that which it mm-hmm. kind of was yeah. Yeah. yeah it was making but fun of itself yeah so then there was the powerful person in the world who really didn't understand it and there was a, you know, back then there were all these different levels of programmers. There was also a lot of, I'll, I'll just say it, there was a lot of homophobic fear about this show. Mm. Mm. Um, there was one very powerful person within the corporation who would repeatedly at screenings of it when they were showing it before it was picked up, who kept calling it the fag show, which made everybody in mm. the, the executives who had championed it furious. Mm. And that was back in the day where you could say this in a room full of people and nobody would bat an eye. Of course, especially if you were, if you were super, super powerful. Super powerful in your dockers, you know, right. standing there. And right. that, you know, like this person also came up to me at different, no matter, it was just hilarious. Like it was one of those things where there were like really five people who believed in it. And then there was Joe Early who mm-hmm. yeah. did the marketing of it instantly got what it was. Yes. He was the one who working with me came up with the color scape of the, the yellows and the reds and all of you guys doing the L's on your head. It's genius. You know, okay. It was very simple. And we worked, a, Joe and I worked a lot on that concept, but the thing about it that was great is, is it had all these guardian angels. It had Dana mm-hmm. first and foremost, who after that disastrous test screening, I can't believe took that. me out for a drink and she said you know what I don't care I don't care what they think they're wrong what version was the test was it the one that actually <clears throat> aired no the version of the test had the infamous long um disco dancing segment with Mr. Shu as a child yes. <laughs> right um and I will say like after that disastrous screening the good thing about that screening was it sort of made everybody put on their, okay, well, how do we convince people that this is a mainstream concept? Mm. Um, and it was, the idea was if you take that out and get right to the, you know, because that was polarizing because the costumes were like based on Copacabana. And it, it was very, very <laughs> odd. Yeah. And so that, that was the first thing to go and not much after that. And once that we lifted that out, I think it's since been seen in like DVD cuts and things like that. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> we, um, yeah, we we took that out, and then um, people were more comfortable with it. And then we didn't make any changes at all. And then the interesting thing was, 
I, I don't know if it was based on my relationships. I think so. Um, and also just because the, like Dana and Jen and, and everybody had been the ringer through it, we got like the first 13 ordered. And that was a magical thing because, you know, we got to make those first th- first 13 episodes. No one had seen it. No one had watched it. And we were on the Paramount lot. Right. Having um, the time of our lives. Bubble. Yeah, we were a making bubble. it in a real bubble. Mm-hmm. And it was the only thing. I was working on Eat, Pray, Love with Julia Roberts at right. the time. But, you know, it was very, very singular. I don't even remember how many of those did I direct. Three of the 13, I think. Probably, Maybe. yeah. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Um. Maybe three or four, but I was, um, I, I just remember making it and not really caring if it was going to be a hit or a bomb because I knew that the first 13 would get on the air and I thought, well, maybe this is going to be like a freaks and geeks thing where the, you know, the 13 will air and then it will be canceled, but people will look back on it fondly. Because I knew that it would mean something to anybody who had been in show choir. Right. Yeah, what were your expectations? None. Hmm. None. And, you know, there, there was – it. my expectation was actually when we aired the pilot, it aired in May – I think right around the American Idol fin- final. Yeah, it was something. right after the f- season finale of American Idol. Yeah, and I thought, mm, this, I don't know how this is going to do. And it did. And I remember the next morning, and it was that, you know, back then, this was not that long ago, but so long ago, <coughs> you know, you'd get the call, well, it did okay. It, it didn't do great, <laughs> or, you know, but we still love you. Mm-hmm. We hope that you don't look at this as discouraging. <laughs> it's it's okay, and you it's got your chilling. baby scene, and <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of. I always thought it was going to be like that. Like I thought it was going to be huh. niche because you know I had gone through niche before with popular, right. you know, which aired for two seasons and had a very small loyal old audience. Back then we would call it culty. Yeah. But you look at the ratings for those shows that are culty. If those ratings is, existed today. Popular was more would be like Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, like more Absolutely. and more people were just watching television, and the ratings were so high compared to now. So, I I think I remember it. The pilot aired. I got on a plane and flew to Bali. Right. And I just thought, well, that's what it's going to be. It's going to air in the fall, and it's going to be something that we loved making and we were all proud of, and. It's just going to kind of be a culty thing, and that's that. And I had no expectation for um, hmm. the back seven episodes, although I had things in mind, and I knew that if it did get picked up, I was going to do a Madonna episode, and that was going to be my big swan song. I, I'd come here to do what I was going to do, and that was it. <laughs> so I had no expectation. The gay checklist. Yeah. Exactly. And I had no plans other than that. And wow. I don't know how you guys felt. I remember the last day of shooting – I remember getting the cast together and saying something because I had a really bad experience with the with the nip tuck ending, you know, and going through something that burned really bright and then everybody kind of falling apart. And I remember giving a speech about staying close and being in it for the work. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Remember I believe this. I, I believe I cried. Yes, you did that a couple times. <laughs> God help you. <laughs> I probably did. But you, you know what that. I really remember about that time was. You know, even you're you're saying that I showed you guys the pretty handsome pilot. Like there was a time where you know almost all of the cast 
was known in certain circles, Broadway circles, Jenna, certainly Kevin from your musical background, but nobody really knew a lot about the cast. And we spent every day together. Yes. We had weekends together. Yes. Every waking I would sh- moment. Yes. I mean, yes. I, sh- I would bring you guys into this little black room that yes. was the size of a closet, like 13 of you. Yes. Yep. And I would screen rough cuts just so that you would get excited. Yes. And Pe- yes. people would be cheering everybody else's musical numbers and yes. it was a very it was a very wonderful you know I was single Special at time. the time right I had yeah. not you know you sure were but also Glee <laughs> led me to my marriage which is another story but it, yeah it was like it, it was my life it yes. was Julia Roberts and you guys and <laughs> yes no I remember, <laughs> remember. I remember her weird. showing up at Paramount and we were all we were like Julia yeah. We all did the stupidest things I could possibly imagine. Yeah. Stop talking. No, Kevin and uh, I remember, we talk about this a lot. Like, we spent, it was a very much a bubble. The world hadn't seen the show yet. We didn't know what it was going to be. Our expectations were non. Um, in the middle of it, the pilot airs, and it does well. And all of a sudden, there's these commercials of, Glee was watched by 15 million people, and the song's number one on iTunes. We're like, huh? Well, we did the mall tour, this Hot Topic mall tour. Oh, that's right, the mall tour. But see, you know, like the thing that, I'm glad that you remember the headlines as being good, because I remember those headlines as, well, they got 15 million viewers, but that's only because people who are watching American Idol forgot to turn on the channel, (laughs) so it's not a real thing. I, I remember thinking that because I was always sort of the numbers guy. Where like mm-hmm. the cast, I would always report back to the cast like what our ratings and music were doing. Right. And I remember being like, okay, well they're like really milking this. We don't really know yet. But we uh, in every department, I think it wasn't just us. It wasn't just you. In every department, crew, production, behind the scenes, everyone felt the same thing. Where no one talked about if it was going to be successful or, or not. We were just having the time of our lives. We'd right. show up, we'd make the crew laugh, we'd have to do these crazy musical numbers with the incredible Andrew Mitchell on Steadicam. Yeah. Yes. And it was, everyone just felt, was all happy. in was on happy. making this thing <laughs> yeah. work. Yeah. That we, th- you were creating the formula as it was happening. Yeah. And we were all just sort of like, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know who this is for, but we love it. It felt like it was for us. Right. right. And, yeah, you know, it felt like you were also, you were very hands on with us from the very beginning. Where you gave us, I don't know, I think three or four speeches, like the one you talked about. Where, and you did explain, sort of vaguely about coming off of this Nip Tuck experience, where you wanted to make sure that you handled this in a way that you felt was better or healthier or a more correct way to deal with the cast. And right. I think because we were young and completely unknown. And I don't know, 90% of us completely green, that you would talk us through, like gently sort of hold our hands through if there's success, if we're lucky enough to have any success, this is sort of what will happen. Right. And if it does happen, this is how we should handle it together as a group. Yeah. And then when we did start to build momentum and get success, you would sort of check in and be like, okay, here's where we are. This is very rare air. And this may never happen f- again. <laughs> yeah. And like, this is, and that was for you. That was for us. That was for everyone. And I remember, I feel like had you not been there with the foresight to sort of talk us through that you had been running shows before, right? but you also didn't know at the time you were about to be running this billion dollar 
business. So you didn't know either. I knew how, nothing. Yeah. So you know how to run a successful show that was had a core fan base and was getting picked up. And that's right. what you were concerned about for us, which was, I think, very helpful. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. it sort of exploded into this yeah. behemoth. Yeah, it was it was a I would say it was like the best of times, the worst of times. For me, the thing that I was very aware of was, okay, I hope this is a TV show that's like loved and, you know, along the lines of my so-called life at best. So I had only had really one hit at that point. And it, let me tell you, it was a cable hit. And so it was mm. not like, yeah. a, it was not, it was a smaller Utra Utra hit. And then to go from being like, okay, you're a showrunner to you're the manager of a billion dollar brand literally within a month. Yep. Because what happened was the show, I was in Italy shooting with Julia when the shows that we had had in the can started to shoot, started to air in September. And it was one of those things where it came on and with every episode, it built and built and built until I think by episode three, when Kristen Chenoweth came on the show, it had just become Massive. a phenomenon that sometimes you see like something just explodes out of the gate and then is there. So I was getting all of these calls from executives saying, oh my God, it's doubled in the ratings, it's tripled in the ratings, <laughs> da, 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 da. and then the fall award nominations came out mm -hmm. and then the music started to become it literally its own industry. And I had, that was overwhelming for me because, you know, pretty much for the first three years, any song that was on Glee, I handpicked and it was because I loved the song and I could sing it <laughs> in my car. Like it was just <laughs> like, I, I would have CDs, mixtapes and things like that. Right. Right. It was just I was a fan. Right. And the show was about being a fan and right. a love of pop music and Broadway music and yeah, classic rock. Yeah, all of who it. knew? That was, all of it. Yeah, and a lot of that was Brad stuff. You know, Brad was interested in the Springsteen stuff and the Speedwagon stuff, and um, yeah, it was what was interesting about it was so then it became suddenly like okay, now you have a show that. I believe by the time it hit the spring was the number one show in the world. Then you had this other component, which is the music, which for a long time the record held where the Glee cast was, you know, the number one recording artist in the world. <laughs> I think it held until last year. Until Drake snatched it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With his Canadian hands. You know, I love that Drake. He also um, played a wheelchair bound student in a high school show. Yes, so he did, Kevin. We he share did. that. Wow. Yeah. And, and then, of course, it was that thing that happened, which in hindsight was probably a mistake, which was let's go on tour. Because what happened the first <laughs> season, we had fun doing the little, you know, the Radio City Music Hall. Right thing that felt like da -da 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 -da. it was silly and crazy but then to go and then you guys became like little taylor swifts like that became <laughs> this thing wild. and it, it just was it was a it, i was very overwhelmed by the three-headed hydra element of it because yeah. again yeah i knew nothing and i had never had any experience doing this mm -hmm. right i had never had any experience of running something on this level yep I mean, ha there's no training for that unless you've actually done it before. There's no, no school. Be like, here are the things you need to know when you're running a billion dollar business that is TV, and music, and yeah. touring. Well, and this like is the this is the thing that's very I think, 
up about Hollywood, right, is you can be a person who is writing a script, you are sitting in a room by yourself with your Starbucks and a sad, broken down laptop, you can write something, you can turn it in, and then you can have a corporation say, here's a billion dollars, go have fun. And you're like, I don't know how to hire people, I don't know how to manage people, I don't know how to... how am I supposed to do all this while working on the creative element of the show? Mm-hmm. It's truly like you still have to turn in twenty-two episodes, right? Back then, yeah, twenty-two, and three, so and you, the three of you wrote those for yes, a very to, long all together, time. yes, for the first two seasons, yes. So it was, um, it's just I wish that there was some sort of sort of formal training on how to be a showrunner, and you weren't given the keys to the kingdom unless you learned how to. Right. Not just manage your time, not just manage other people, but also how to manage your own mental health. Because I don't know any CEO in the world who becomes CEO without like at least 10 years of training. Right. So it's absolutely insane to be able to, you know, manage something, let alone a cultural phenomenon. It was very, very, very difficult for me. And I remember feeling like I'd failed a lot and I did fail a lot. And I have, um, you know regrets about that about I shouldn't have done a lot of those things I shouldn't have agreed to a lot of those things but at the same point I'll never forget that opening night at Staples Center it was insane it was like well who who, like okay check that off the bucket list but there was a cost to that you know there was I can't even imagine and I mean I do imagine but like for you guys having to not just do 22 episodes a year of a one hour, but record the musical numbers while in choreography between takes. I mean, thank God you were all so young. <laughs> but it, yeah, it was... We didn't know any better. Fresh and young and sprightly. Yes. Un- there, but, you know, back then, there was no conversation about mental health. No, there was none. no conversation about... Um, none. None of that stuff. We wanted I mean, to. Be- we really want to dive into that on this podcast too, about yeah. you know, like taking care of yourself and what and how Hollywood does generate this like go 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 kind of hustle culture that um, you you really do have to look out for yourself and some people don't even know how to. Um, yes. And I, I think, think we- for us, it was like over everything was so overnight for you, for us. Like this was all brand new territory and we didn't know how to we couldn't say no. We didn't know how to say no in a way. That's how I felt. I could not yeah. say no. Yeah, because, you know, for once, it's so hard to get a job. You finally get a job. You get hired on the show and then it's successful. And then on top of that, it's it means a lot to people. You know, like you hope yeah. to get a job and you hope the check clears and you get to keep going back every day. But at the same time, we're now, you know, hearing from people like what you hoped for the show. It did find its audience and it was a lot bigger than you ever could have imagined. And it's like I think we come from the world of especially the theater world with Jenna and Leah where it's like you just put your head down and work. Yeah. It's like yeah. you say thank you and you go full out whenever you're asked to work. And so I had the same experience. And the only gauge I had that we were probably doing more than what was normal was sort of from the crew. <laughs> They're like, anything you do after this is going to be easier. <laughs> Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection. 
in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini, rewind to the future with the VS Archives swim collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage from full to cheeky to minimal, now in this season's must-have shades and patterns. Add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape Fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriassecret.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I do want to amend one thing that I just said because yeah. I was thinking about it, about, you know, the truth of the matter is I did say yes. That The responsibility is on me. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why I said yes to all of these things. Because when I first started off in the business, <clears throat> you know, as a gay guy, I would go to meetings with executives and some of them would literally imitate my voice. Like, it was mm-hmm. rough. It was really, mm-hmm. really hard. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm never going to be a success. I'm never going to get a job. My show was canceled the first two seasons after Popular. After that, I struggled. So I knew what it was like to have a weird sensibility and to not work. So once you get a green light Mm. and you're driving a very fast car, if the next light is a green light, it's human nature to go through the green light, to take the yes because it may never come back again. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I've since realized that that's probably was not the way to be. But just for my own life, I was like, well, this could be the end. So the only time I ever said no was in the middle of the third season. They really did want to do a Darren Chris Dalton Warbler spinoff. What? And I said, I don't think that's, I don't think I, don't I can think do I knew that. that. I didn't know that. Wow. 
yeah, we, we were talking about doing a Warbler spinoff. Wow. And I said, I just, I don't have the bandwidth. I can't do it. Right. And right. I should have done it. Actually, looking back on it, what I wouldn't kill to have done that show because it would have been great. It would have been really great. Um, <laughs> it would have been great. It would have been great. And it would have solved a lot of other problems. But I, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I just would like to emphasize again, and I've said this to you, you know, we had a, a really, an interesting thing that happened in my life when Naya passed away, it was a moment where all of us were kind of brought back together for a while in grief. And yeah. we finally all got to say, you know what I really think of you? And you know what I really think you did? Yeah. And you know how I really felt about that experience? Yeah. And it was really interesting for me to hear the truth that you guys had, which was, yeah, you know, we had started it in such a, 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 a tight, loving way. And then as it went on and it became bigger, I sort of felt like I just became so overwhelmed by the business aspect of it that I became almost like an absentee father who shows up at the end of the day and pats the kids. And I had no idea to think mm -hmm. that you guys were like, where did dad go? Right. Why, mm -hmm. what, where did you go? Yes. And where I was at was I was in meetings looking at Glee merch, <laughs> trying to pick the right color of blue or, or planning the tour right. or dealing with the ratings or right. the award we show like, stuff. Oh, he hates us. Yes. He's over it was, us. It he was doesn't bad. want to be around us. Yeah. It, we, and it was interesting to go through that experience with you guys not so long ago to sort of sit and be like, huh, yeah, yeah I kind of f***ed that up. And I wish I had been more present. I mm -hmm. wish I had known. I wish I had known how to be um, a, a proper parent like I did not know I was making it up as I was going along and the interesting thing about that whole experience was that it really did prepare me for parenting it, it taught me a lot about how to be with young people what to do and what not to do and also more importantly like the the most important thing is the human connection mm. and um yeah all the other stuff doesn't matter. Like the, the tour should have, should not have mattered. And I wish I had just sat my ass on that set <laughs> and enjoyed the experience and was there just because I, I remember sometimes when I would show up later and waft in, in my black vampire outfits and just <laughs> sit there that, you know, like I remember just like you guys would look at me like, mm-hmm. There was but just a disconnect, right? There was a disconnect. And then, but slowly you would all, I would, I would, you know, be sitting there and slowly the next day, you know, we'd be sitting there <laughs> singing Brandy Monica songs yep. like we did when we were making the pilot. And it felt like, oh, that feeling that we all had, the love that we had for not just each other, but what we were doing yep. um, was still there. And yeah. I think a lot about, and you know, and also I had a, a um, I've never been as close to a cast. I've never tried to be as close to a cast because I think that all of our lines, like, were we friends? Was I your mm -hmm. boss? Yeah. I, I, I was actually, the thing that people also think about showrunners is like, you know, we actually all worked for the same person. We were right. all employees of Fox. Right. I, I was not your boss. I was an employee, although I was given this sort of position Roll. of power that I really was not prepared for. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was a... It was a, particularly those beginning years were really, really heady and yeah. overwhelming. But I have to say, I look back on it with a real great degree of 
of affection because for every bad moment, there were like a hundred great moments. And I just, the thing that I remember so vividly was I had a house account at the Chateau Marmont (laughs) and I cannot tell you how many nights we as a group shut that place down. And I mean, we had a ball. We had a ball and I remember even some of the first award shows we went to as a group we won't name them, but I just remember <laughs> us having a sense of what is happening. Like it was oh, so yeah. fun. <laughs> it was. It was so fun, it was. and we we had a ball, and we did. We were just always together. We were always, always together. Well, I, whether it was filming at dinner, always. going to those awards. We shows, were together or, more than we were with our own families, and 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 I think you're right, Ryan. Like, thanks for sharing that. I I feel like. In, in a in a parallel parallel universe, we were going through the same thing where we didn't we weren't prepared for what was happening in our lives and we weren't prepared for it. And we loved this show. And we you know, I, I look back with very fond memories now. A million good things outweigh the one bad thing in the press that we see these days. You know, a million great things that weren't talked about. And I think that's what we want to do on this show is share all of those. But, um, right. you know, in this parallel universe, like. The show was ours for those first 13, 20 episodes or however many we did before the world kind of took it. And that's that was for us to make for them in many ways. Like it it changed many lives. It saved lives. And Mm. and I'm so grateful for that because it kept us going in those really hard end seasons of like people are still (laughs) hanging on and still with us and still really enjoying this. So we do it for them. But. Um, early on like it, it was ours and then all the power and everything was kind of like it became so external and yes, that was like did. an incredibly difficult shift that none of us I think had the time or energy to process at that point mm-hmm. we were so exhausted and we were still working you were you started horror story at that point like there were a million things going on that like nobody got to sit and process until you come to a point where you lose one friend you lose two friends you lose three friends you lose crew members you lose all these really important people in a, such a momentous time in your life that you go back and go what was it really about what was it right. that made it so special that gives you that feeling of like, I remember when we went to the upfronts for the first time and we watched that trailer that we had made and mm-hmm. I was bawling and they're like, <laughs> everybody's laughing at me. But I was like, I love this thing. I get it. Like I got it before I think some people got it. And I, I was I just so attached to it and attached to all of us and this little family that we had made. So. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. Like, I look at back at that period, and I remember being emotional about every cut, Mm. like showing you guys and sitting in those rooms and crying. And I think if you look back on it, it was a very interesting group of people because all of us had something in common. And the thing that, if when I look back, is we all were kind of nerds, and we all felt unloved and unseen, not just maybe in our families, but by the business. Mm -hmm. We all were like these kind of people that had weird, (laughs) unique talents that were unseen. And finally, we got to show them. And then against all odds, people loved us after hating us for so long. At least that's how I felt. And that's a very emotional thing that we went through because we were kind of united. We were all marginalized people. Mm. And suddenly, we became the establishment and the trendsetters. And that 
also can screw with your ego. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was also very interesting and bizarre to yes. me. Yes. And I, um, a lesson learned. But yeah, I, I just, I just, you know, it's that thing. I always think like, God, I really did love it. And if I could, it, those, those two years, I will say, from the making of the Glee pilot probably to 2011 were without question the happiest years of my life, without a doubt. Wow. I look back on that time and I think, wow, that's when I was doing Glee. That's when I met my better, I mean, I'd been friends with my better half, but you know, I started dating him because he was dating some guy who was like 20 years old and he called me up <laughs> after a long time where I hadn't spoken to him and he said, can you get me Glee tickets for my guy? No. Stop. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Stop. And so he, I got, I'm like, okay. So I got him tickets to the Radio City Glee thing. Wow. I And I was, you know, chain smoking at the time. So I was real thin and I was wearing mm-hmm. this Jill Sonder coat. Yep. And I looked good for like two weeks in my life, and that was the period. And then he saw me. I and remember. He was like, <laughs> you remember the skinny mini. And then he was like, "Who is? Uh, what happened here?" So that I, that's how I started to date David. We wow. went out later that night, and then we, we got both married have and had three kids. Yes, we You're do. Both married to David. That's right. David's, but it's sort of that was a great period in my life of. Listen, there were battle royales, but it was fun because, you know, again, I get back to it was the first, the first big success, Mm -hmm. the first moment in the spotlight where, you know, we were all kids, I think, knowing all you guys who were singing in front of mirrors with hairbrushes. (laughs) And then you get to be in a global stage doing something like that. It was a wondrous time for me. It was a constantly, every single day was like all of our wildest dreams coming true. I feel like. As easy as it is now to look back and be like, yeah, here are things we could have done differently. I also feel like in that in the beginning, by you putting yourself out there to be our friend, you know, and be that close to us for better or for worse, it did make us feel safe and protected, though. It did allow us to show up every day and to show our unique abilities and talents and skills that nobody else cared to see before. And so I do think because of that, because of the tone you set, that, yeah, even if we hadn't seen you for a while and you'd come out set, we'd still run over to you because you felt like a foundational aspect of who we were, who we are or were in relation right. to the show. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you allowed us to be all of those things. You pushed us to be our better selves and get our talent out there as much as possible in the very beginning. Yes, were we tired? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then, of course, it was that thing where, you know, I also had, I I remember, like, I I was the person that also had to be the disciplinarian about some of these things, like, you know, laying down the law, which is absolutely absurd now. Like, you know what it should have been? There should have been some person who was just in charge of... (laughs) schedules and personalities and it's like you know there was there was no <laughs> that should have been ta- telly's job from <laughs> yeah exactly so true um but you know like i'll just speak graphically and we can cut it out you know like if you want but i started off that job as a writer and a producer and halfway through that job because of the phenomenon that it became and the things that then happen when you're a part of a phenomenon, and some of them are good, some of them are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to deal with things that are absolutely batshit crazy out of my knowledge. Like, I had no idea about how to handle domestic violence. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how to handle addiction. Right. I had no idea how to handle unwanted pregnancies. I had no idea how to do any of these things. So I was in this role of like the boss, but also a friend and actually loving yep. everyone. And then it was just very, very overwhelming. And yeah. um, again, it really did teach me about parenting and what not to do, what to do. Yeah. And, Crash course. Yeah. And I'm just... I'm just so relieved and thrilled that at the end of the day, and again, I'll go back to the Naya thing, which was incredibly healing, but I'm glad that we all got to have these, it was like a couple of weeks to really talk about what Glee did to us and what Glee did for us, and those are two very different things. Yes. And it was really healing and getting to, because you, and I would tell you guys like, okay, you had that feeling, but did you know that when that was going on, I was doing X, X, Y, Y, and you guys had no idea because I would always keep that stuff from you for the most part. But right. yep. that was that was interesting to share what I was going through too because mm-hmm. yeah. so many times I think you guys would think that I was just this sort of automaton dressed in comme de garçon <laughs> who would come in and Absolutely. level edicts, but it wasn't that. I was torn up and struggling and trying to figure it out. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini, rewind to the future with the VS Archives swim collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage from full to cheeky to minimal, now in this season's must-have shades and patterns. Add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent, dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriassecret.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I found it interesting when when we did you the night when Naya went missing, you called me, Ryan, and I remember thinking because at that point I was we were all distraught and you know wondering what was happening, and I remember in the sense that I had anytime I talked to you, you always talked about Glee with sort of this, I don't know if it was anger or it wasn't definitely wasn't positivity. It was sort of like, ugh, I'm over it. Everything's annoying. Everyone's whatever. And you called me, and I was sort of like, look, I don't know how it came up, but I was like, I don't know what impression you have of the show, but it has brought a lot of us a lot of good and a lot of positivity and a lot of joy. And and then from there, you and I talked every day for, I don't know, yeah. almost a month. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, it turned into, you know, what do we all have to lose by not talking to you directly and to each other about the things that brought us together and then what sort of took us apart? Right. And it was very interesting also to, like, watch your transformation, sort of every phone call of also working through things the way we were also all working through things. And I felt like it was very... Um, as and it was such odd timing, but made sense that it's like, of course, Naya's gonna just have us talk about everything, throw everything <laughs> out there as she would. Mm-hmm. And I, it was through grief, like you said, be able to completely sort of like open up all the wounds from everyone mm-hmm. and just spill it. And you were like, I'll take it, mm-hmm. I will sit there and I will take it because I want everyone to know that I'm listening and hearing what they're saying and i'm accepting mm-hmm. you know their experience yeah and i was on the other side of it and um it is interesting now to hear how you've also like shifted and had this more you know positive outlook because it, i think it's it's so easy to get weighed down especially externally by all like the shit people say who weren't involved in it at all yeah. and it's like no we spent years having just incredible incredible positive joyful experiences and getting to do crazy ass things like in one weekend we performed on oprah and then went to the white house and hung out at the white house and then performed at the white house yes we did and it was like we were or rather you did i was just there (laughs) you were there yeah we were doing insane things and there were so many great things that we yeah and the reason we're, we're always going to be connected like this and so deeply is because only we only have each other to relate to and this right. because right. nobody else went through this and we all went through a very specific set of circumstances and so i think that's also why we feel things so deeply with each other mm-hmm. where the highs are high and the lows are low is because like family it's like well i have no one else to relate to on this so like i i either hate you or i love you and i can say i hate you because i love you mm-hmm. and right. so it's sort of that high school drama that <laughs> you know doesn't ever End unless you face it head on, which right. you sort of spearheaded. I have a yeah, that was a, that was an interesting um, switch for me. It, it also other things started to happen at that time, right? I mean, I think the thing for me is like that idea of 
being a part of a cultural phenomenon and sort of going so high that once you're so high, you can only come down. And the yeah. feeling coming down is not good for anybody. It doesn't feel good. Right. And then the media starts to take you know, shots at you and punish you for the thing that they actually rewarded you for identically mm -hmm. six months before. Right. So, and then... You did warn us of that, by the way. I distinctly, but I guess we were super young, but you did walk us through those things. But until it happens, it's sort of unbelievable yeah. and theoretical. I think the thing that happened for me was there was a, there was a turning point for me where... Um, I was in it, I was in it, I was, and then, you know, that thing where you're like the gay kid who, oh, what do you mean you're going to make my dream horror show in green like that? Yes. What do you mean I can go do the normal heart? Yes. Like, I just was so thinking that I would never work again that I took the yeses. Yep. And then I started to build this business that I've really enjoyed. And that kind of took me further out to sea. Okay. And then I think you guys felt further estranged from me because physically I wasn't there creatively then you know we added a writer's room and it became a bigger thing and I think the thing that happened for me to be blunt was you know Corey died and then after Corey's death and I had to plan a memorial service I was like I don't I don't know how to do this anymore I can't I don't know what to do um and it right. was so painful and dark and I think we all felt that yeah. but mm -hmm. You know, there was also a very large crew who had been with us from the beginning, who was very little turnover. Us. Yeah, no, yeah. no turnover. It was a family, and people yes. wanted to keep working. And well, not everybody. There were a few that didn't. But <laughs> um, I just think that after that, I was sort of like Elvis has left the building. I yes. think my spirit had gone out of it, yes. and I was so devastated by his death yeah. um, that I had to step away from my own mental health, even though I didn't call it mental health at the time. Right. So it did become like this sort of thing where there was a lot of space between us. But then recently what has happened is we all, most of us got back together in a very adult, good way yeah. and had adult conversations. Yeah. You guys are adults now. You're not kids. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and sort of that was a shift in all of your lives. You have partners, you have children like, yeah. um, you process it differently. Totally. And then now, you know, Glee is on Hulu. It's on Disney Plus. And every day there are people who reach out to me about my eight-year-old yep. is watching the show. And these young people have no memory of it being in the media and a cultural phenomenon. They're just loving the musical experience right. of it so that to me has been sort of reinvigorating and like oh it the work lasted and the works mm -hmm. tested the you know and it's also hilarious to me some of the stuff that we did in those later seasons that was so mercilessly attacked by the press for example <laughs> remember when we did those scenes with sue as jigsaw and oh, and God. like the puppet and she, jane had the hurt locker uh, yeah <laughs> I believe that there were there were many columns written about that I should be killed for those <laughs> scenes. But 
now they are among the most beloved, watched, streamed. Like so, it's interesting. Like yes. everything comes. You're back still around. wrong. You're still wrong for what the fox say. Yes, I Kevin hated that. Kevin really hated <laughs> You're and still wrong for the puppets and Kongam okay. style too. Kongam style. Okay, let's loses. talk about these two yes, songs, please, which I have please. been Gang of Style and What the Fox Says. Let's do okay, it. I would like you to put yourself in my little. Brain. I understand why you did it. <laughs> I understand. Okay, we had 22 episodes a year to fill, right? So when you're doing it and you're like, well... (laughs) Might as well. Sure. What's at the the top of the charts? Yeah. Like... um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I... If, if you look at that show, you can also look at, like, what was popular and what was classic. Like, it was a weird mixture. And yes... I will say, <laughs> Gangnam Style, not the best moment. <laughs> but there was a reason why it was on there because it was so incredibly popular. Yes. And Glee, in some regards, was like the jukebox musical of its day, the top of the pops. <laughs> you could tune in to see what was totally yeah. popular. Yes, that's right. But that's right. I don't know. <laughs> that's, is, I, that, is that your least favorite number? Kevin um, says, what's the Fox say? I felt like I was the last one to break out of the cast. Yes. The last one to lose it. <laughs> he was. Uh, yes. And that was my breaking point. Yes, I saw Why? it happen. Because I, I witnessed I th- it. I think, I think it's because... <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know, but there was something about having puppets <laughs> and, doing that, and doing that number where I was just like, what fever dream... Like what has happened? It was and a there, fever dream. And there's an actual shot of me looking into the camera <laughs> where I'm just like, Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think it was just because like, okay, am I allowed to break now? Yes. Everyone else has broken. It took this a very is, long time for you. I'm like, thought, this is yeah. my reaction. Oh, but I will say, do you remember, like, speaking of all the current music, like people used to send you their music. Like I remember Gaga sent you Born the Born This Way album mm-hmm. because Brad and you. You guys walked back onto set, and Brad was like, "Oh yeah, we just uh, Lady Gaga's people brought us over <laughs> their music." Brad right. Falchuk, the straightest man on earth, talking about listening to Lady, Lady Gaga. Gaga, and I was like, "Oh my God, how was it?" You're like, and he was like, "Oh yeah, there's probably some hits on there." I'm like, "Where's Ryan? I need to know." I knew exactly what the hits were. Yes, yeah, yes. Like that was that was a that was you know that was a that was a very interesting period. And again, Paul McCartney sent his music over. Yep. Um, I learned a lot from that period. Um, that was a weird period where, when Glee became popular, that we could reach out to any artist in the world and they would pretty much say yes. Except you know, a few. From, Except a few. <laughs> yeah, but I also learned something like that from yeah. that. Like, uh, you know, that whole Kings of Leon thing when, when that was the first rejection, I think, and I took it personally and I gave an interview. Mm-hmm with a lot of hubris and a really big head and, and said really stupid things. And looking back on it, I feel like they were right. Like hmm. you as an artist should be allowed to, you know, do with your music what you will. And I should never have said anything. I, I it, that was just, a, I learned a lot of life mm-hmm. lessons and I was such a jerk in that interview. <laughs> I don't even know why I said some stupid thing about depriving America's children of Kings of Leon. Stop it. <laughs> I, I don't remember Where's what that I article? said, but it was it was not good. Th- don't you remember? Then they came after yeah. me. Yes, they did. Well, I, was, because I was devastated. Then we and got I was nominated. Like, Wait, for I love you. I love we you. Got nominated nominated for we got nominated. Now we love We were sitting in the same row as them at the Grammys, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, this is embarrassing. I'm you like, know, I, had, I love I you. A, Do you hate us? We love. I know. Them. I had I had that moment with Dave Grohl, who I really love as an artist. 
and he spoke out against that interview. I don't know if you recall saying, yeah. like, who is this guy saying something? And I was going to some another awful award show moment, and he was in front of me and turned around. And he goes, oh, hi. No. Like, hi. <laughs> I'm sorry. He goes, it's all good. He was such a lovely guy, oh, and he's such a lovely guy. But again, things that you learn, like yes. I never had any media training. I, I was just so thrilled to literally have Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Adele. Remember Adele? Oh, my God. Adele would talk about her love of Glee. At the, and her love of Amber. Yes. Specifically. Just like, that was really cool. That was really that cool. That was amazing. Like yeah. To be a part of those that experience with that level of artist, uh, to have Stevie Nicks oh my God. show mm-hmm. up on set and send flowers. Remember that huge yes. flower arrangement she yep. sent yes. that craft room we had? That's wild. She gave she talked to us in the glee in the classroom and she was amazing. All of the stars, so yeah. It was, it was just like that really great period where as a fan you could say or I could say, like, I wanted to do songs and pay tribute to people that I love like Barbara Streisand you know I got to yes. meet Barbara because of Glee and become friends with her so it was like past and present but it was a it was it was that show in the in the in a moment in time was um an indisputable force in terms of I was would say you know showcasing the love of music and to me that's what it really was about. It was about, I love music. Music is something that brings people together. It's a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. I you know, had the lead in every musical in high school. One of my great <laughs> tragedies is that I did not become a pop music singer. <laughs> what I really wanted to be was a pop music singer and or the editor-in-chief of Vogue. And I could not do either of them, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But so, we know you can I, run a little bit. You yeah. would sing with us on set all the time. Yes. I, I can, actually. Um, <laughs> and by run we mean it's one run it's one run but you got it amber's got like it. yeah you got it Ryan. you got it. i only i only could do one thing but it was just fun and um that's the that's the joy of that show is um i think the love of music that even if you watch it i think you can tell now because i went back in preparation for this and watched some of the old episodes and you can tell like Oh, they really did love what they were doing. Yes. And they really did have a great appreciation and admiration for these artists. And yes. we were interpreting them in different ways and mashing things up. And it was all like yes. love letters yes. to me. Yes. I mean, Every you song. Also, like, Except Gangnam got... Style, not a love letter. No, not a, a love three letter. A, a 3 a.m., okay. what are we going to do in here? But I still love that song. I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. Just PTSD. Selfishly, I mean, the that K-pop episode, I remember Brad turning to me. He's like, do you, I heard you like K-pop. I was like, I love K-pop. He's like, what can we put in the background of the scene? I'm like, I'll send you a whole list. <laughs> and I got my favorite K-pop artist in that episode. You did? Like, yes, yes. Wow, okay, Kevin. Good. We're like rehearsing to to Big Bang, which was my favorite yeah. group at the time. But What I mean, season was this? What was this? I don't even know. God. Three or four? Must have been mm. later. Um, in the spirit of like artists and all these amazing people, what about the guest stars? And and talk about the casting of the pilot as well. Like, were you pitched big names? Like, and what made you decide mm. to go th- with mm-hmm. all of us little unknown, you know, girls? <laughs> well, that was a that was a wondrous, amazing um, casting session that I've really only had once since, and that was with the cast of Pose. Mm. It was a very similar idea, which was let's let's make stars. Mm-hmm. Let's there's so much talent out there. Let's let's find people. 
when we were writing the the pilot, I've never really talked about this. That pilot was written for Justin Timberlake. Oh. Mr. Shu was written for Justin. Wait a second. Hold up. <laughs> this is actually brand new information. I think we need to pause. And we'll we will talk about this next time. So come back next week to hear the second part of our almost three hour conversation with Ryan Murphy because You don't want to miss it. It's just getting started. Bean Dad, the dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.